This is the Shegon Nation podcast. And now, former Major League player and your certified hitting guru, Jeff Fry. Welcome to the Shegon Nation podcast. This is episode number 10. Today, my guest is my teammate, Mo Vaughn. Welcome to the show, Hit Dog. Welcome, man. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Good to hear from you. Yeah, man. I'm glad you uh, we kind of reconnected. I don't know why we didn't stay in touch, but we reconnected probably about a month or two ago. And uh, um, I'm so happy that we did, man, because you were you were one of my I'm not just saying it because you're on here, either, but you were one of my favorite teammates. And I had tremendous respect for you, the way you carried yourself and, and you were a leader. So I appreciate you taking time out of your day to day to come on the podcast. You know, some people you just connect with. And you were that guy for me also. You played the game hard. You played it right. You, you, you played it strong. I told you the other day, I go, man, I go over some home run clips. I had some of my best years. You were, you were always on that base, man. So <laughs> I thank you. <laughs> yeah, I actually posted a, a video today uh, previewing the show and showed you hitting a couple home runs. And one of them was a three-run homer and me and uh, Timmy Nairing scored. Yep. So, But you told me that. He was like, man, just get on base. I'll knock you in. And that was, I was <laughs> like, all right, I'm going to try to do what this man says. I want to go a little bit over your bio. Um, you played college baseball at Seton Hall with John Valentin and Craig Vigio. Wow. Um, must have been a pretty incredible team. Uh, you were drafted by the Boston Red Sox in the first round in 89. You made your debut in 1991. You were a three-time All-Star, which I can't even understand how you were not a 10-time All-Star. And you won the American League MVP in 1995. You ended your 12-year Major League career, a 293 hitter with 328 homers and 1,064 RBIs. And as great as a player as you were, you were an even better teammate and the unquestioned leader of the Red, Red Sox teams I was a part of. So I'm happy you're here, man. There's so many things I want to talk to you about, um, about what's going on in the game today and some of the memories we had uh, while we were teammates. So thanks a lot, Mo. Anytime, brother. Well, we were teammates in from 1995 to 1998. And what I remember about those teams, and I'm sure you probably remember the same, is, man, we could hit. We had some hitters on those teams. And I think if we had just a little bit more pitching, uh, we could have done some damage. I mean, we had, we had you, Reggie, Val, Yummy, Nomar, Naring, Tech, Conseco, Stano, D. Lou, Braggy. I mean, how do we not win more games with those teams? I know. It was, that was a – that was a – uh, that's a great list of, of guys you named. A lot of characters in that in that list. You know, you got Bragg and Valentin and Jose and then, you know, um everybody played a role. It was it was those 95, 96, 97, 98 years. Those were some of my best years. I told you earlier, you were always on that base. Um, but we needed pitching. Pitching and bullpen yep. was our reasons for for not having success. But that was uh, as as a tough, mentally you know tough mentally minded group that you that you just named as anybody we could come across. Yeah, with yourself yep. leading the way. Well, I try. I was lucky to get Kevin Kennedy to bring me over there. I talked had Kevin on the podcast the other day, and he says you guys stay in touch, and 
he got a raw deal, man. He got a raw deal when he got run out of there. I think he did too. I mean, I, I just had won the MVP and I'm like, man, you know, we got a nice thing going right here. And all of a, all of a sudden he was gone. It was like, you know, that was tough. That was tough. Cause I really enjoyed playing for him. We all did. It was, it was, he just created the right atmosphere in the clubhouse for us. Yeah. And he had, he, I had played for Kevin with Texas and he admittedly said he made a few mistakes saying stuff in the media that, you know, saying players' names, maybe when they made a mistake. And that's kind of a no-no in our eyes as players, you know, you don't say that stuff out in the media. And so he had learned from his mistakes. And when he went to Boston, yeah, I thought he was, did a great job. And, and that, you know, having played there, that's one of the toughest places in, in baseball to play. Those, that media is tough and the fans will let you know if uh, they're not appreciating what you're doing on the field. And I thought he, I, the day when I heard he got fired, I was in shock. I, I the same, you know, how tough Boston is. They -hmm. think New York is tough. I think Boston is the toughest because it's, it's one team, one town. And all those, you know, different newspaper, you know, papers vying for one great story. We got 24 mayor roster. They got 45 media credentials in the clubhouse looking for stories. It's, 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 it's probably the toughest place to play. Yeah. And they weren't always looking for the positive stories. They were looking for more negative stories. Um, I remember uh, a time when Carl Everett and I um, were talking, walking on the field, and Dan Shaughnessy wrote something about uh, me and Carl Everett getting into it. And uh, it's like, we weren't getting into it. We were just talking, walking on the field. And uh, next thing I know in the paper, the next day, Shaughnessy says, that me and Carl Everett were getting into it, walking on the field. And I told Carl, and uh, I felt kind of bad for Mr. Shaughnessy, but Carl kind of kind of read in the riot act the next day rightfully so though i mean you know if if the story's true and you want to report it fine but let's not make stuff up listen you know um if they're not trying to create some type of hype or issue then they're not trying and that's that was what's that's what goes on in boston i think you know being there i try to deflect as much as that as i could you know from from you know from the team but yeah, you know, any type of story. And I also think that maybe it might, might you know, might have changed now. Mm-hmm. So you win four Worlds, you know, 2004, you won a World Series. You win three more. And I always, you know, talk about Boston media. They're like really personal fans of the team. And right. they write that way, you know, they write the way they actually feel with those emotions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm still good friends with, some of those guys, Tony Maserati, I talked to him. Peter Gammons actually is uh, is supposed to come on the podcast, which is really cool. Um, but a lot of the old media guys that when we played there, I'm still friends with those guys. I mean, I just treated them with respect. And as long as they, you know, if I say this is off the record, it's off the record. Right. You know, and you got you got to have that trust of those guys because there's been times where you say something, you know, just on the, on the cuff, off the cuff. And, uh, next thing you know, it's in the paper the next day. You're like, what? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you know, just, so I realized Boston that no matter what us players will, will never win the media race. We'll never win yeah. that race. No matter if we're right or wrong, if I could have done some things over, I probably wouldn't have spoke as much about some about, about issues, contract issues, but 
take it from me, all you know, people, as a professional athlete, you will never ever win the media circle between you, the the team, and ownership. It just never works out the right way. Nah, you're better off just not saying anything. And I know when I spoke out against um, Dan Duquette when when they designated Stano for assignment and all that, and I spoke out, and man, it was just like half the town thought it was good, half the town thought it was horrible. I just need to keep my mouth shut, and <laughs> I learned quick, man. You you speak out against the, the the brass, they'll get you out of town, and I was out of town in a week. But I still have no regrets. I stuck up for my teammate, and I was going to do that. You know, I still do that. I'm sticking up for my guys. So, so you were the centerpiece of our team. You were, I mean, you had a knack for driving in runs and, and that used to be how teams were built. You know, you get your table setters at the top, maybe even a couple fast guys down at the bottom of the lineup and the middle of the lineup was stacked with your RBI guys, guys who knew how to drive in runs. And you were one of those guys. I played with a few, you, Juan Gonzalez, I mean, Palmero, uh, Delgado, some guys just know how to drive in runs. And that was just how teams were built. But now I'm hearing that the RBI is a team stat and that guys only get RBIs because of where they're positioned in the lineup. And I think it's hilarious um, because <laughs> it's kind of the new stuff that's going on in the game. But RBIs, I got to ask you, are RBIs, in your opinion, a team stat? It's the most important stat in the game. I agree. They're hitting in that three, four, five hole. And this is what goes on with these teams now. All of a sudden now, the best hitter's batting second. What do I need 25 home runs and 50 RBIs from my second man? I need mm -hmm. him to be back in the order, hitting those bombs with people on base. That's how you win. Yeah. I don't really know <laughs> all this, this analytics. I'm, I'm, I'm not so sure of it. I think there's a place for it. I still feel that the manager, the manager knows the feeling of his team, his lineup. And I think they're taking that feel away from a lot of the managers in the game today. But they've been stacking these lineups the right way. You get your guys that can handle a bat at the top of the order. One, two, get your three, four, five. There's been a lot of World Series one you know, since the game was created, doing it that way. I don't understand why it has changed. Yeah, I don't either. I mean, you see guys like Mike Trout hitting two-hole. I'm like, that, that dude's hitting three-hole for me every game. He's in the lineup. Every game. Best hitter on the team should hit in the three-hole, my I opinion. Want, yep. I want them hitting with people on base. Yep. And, and people are wrong. This is where they're wrong. The outs, where the guy is on base – is decides how the batters behind them are going to get pitched to. Mm -hmm. That's the way the game is built. And, and people talking this new era of, I, I didn't even hear that said about RBI's a team thing. That that's just ridiculous. Um, yeah. They're trying to say it's not important and batting average isn't important anymore. It's just, it's more um, OPS is important. And that your RBIs are um, basically because where you hit in the lineup and who's on base. Not that it takes, you know, a special talent to extend the strike zone and maybe put a ball in play up the middle to knock in a run so you don't walk and 
get out of the inning with a double play. That was a skill. You know that. Anybody that drive, is driving in over 100 runs consistently a year knows their way around the batter's box. You just don't walk into that. That's why there's, you know, nine, nine hitters, you know, in the lineup with the DH in the American League. And that's why you have the three, four, five guys because they are built for driving in runs. Mm-hmm. And it, 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 it's a skill. And you could talk to anybody in any era. They'll tell you, and I'll tell you, when you're sitting in that three-hole, there's a different way to thinking when men come up in scoring position. At the end, and I was left-handed, so I'm facing the toughest lefty out of the bullpen in the seventh inning, and then the closer in the ninth inning throughout the whole year. Mm-hmm. And you better know, have a plan and have a plan of action and be thinking about what's happening and where they're going to try to try to get you out and capitalize against it. Yeah, and I think that's one of the things I see a lot in the game that's missing in the game today is you see, you know, guys, maybe the first guy will walk, the next dude will hit a double. We got second, third, no outs. And the first pitch, these guys are trying to pull the ball and just swinging out of their butt, two strikes, swinging at fastballs up in the zone instead of, hey, man, shorten up, get to put the ball in play, hit it up the middle. Now we got to run home. We got to run on third. And this helps the guy behind you. And that was the team. You got to keep the line moving, man. And that's how to, the teams that win do that. And I don't know why we change this philosophy during the playoffs, right? You see the teams who win all of a sudden in the playoffs, they're putting the ball in play. Mookie Betts is scoring from third base on infield in because he's getting great reads. And why is the game different? We, why are we going to play it different in the playoffs versus the whole season? I don't really understand that. I don't either. Um, I'm hearing all these things about how we're going to speed up the game. What do we got to do to make the game interesting? Why don't we go back and play it the way it's supposed to be played? And that will take care of, of all the interests that people are asking questions about. I agree. We've gone away from playing the game the way that we all learned to play it. And now it's so far gone in the wrong direction that now we have to change rules to try and get it back. Right. It, it right. just doesn't make sense. Well, I want to ask you this. I had no more on here a little while back and um, he talked about you. I mean, that dude loves you. And he said, he's still in awe of you every time he sees you. And this day he was so appreciative of the way you took him under your wing. Do you remember those conversations you had with him when he was first coming up? Absolutely. Um, Wow. What a, what a talented, talented player Nomar was. Yeah. The speed, the power, the defense, the, you know, he's know how to, he knew how to run the bases. He knew how to steal bases. And I tell everybody else, I tell everybody this throughout the history. I don't know anybody that could come walk to the plate and square up a first pitch fastball more consistently than him anywhere. He didn't have to, he didn't have to take time to, you know, figure out the delivery, what the speed was. He gets set. And I mean, he'd be rifling the ball all around the field and he wouldn't even take a pitch. (laughs) I'm serious. He never, if he was ready to hit, you threw that fastball there, he was going to hit it and hit it hard somewhere consistently all the time. But what a, um, what a talent, um, a good guy, um, had a good, has a good heart, good family. Um, 
he did a lot of things for the Boston Red Sox. And I think he's gone back and, and you know, they've rewarded him for it as, as they should and, and acknowledge that. But Nomar was, uh, you know, a very good player, a very good talent, and a, and a humble human being to be how good he was. He really was. And I, I, I was telling him that. I was like, man, you don't re- even realize it. We were kind of like amazed at you when you first came up. It's like, man, how could this guy be so good so fast? And it's like, I tell people all the time, I play with different. One year I played with Nomar in Boston. Uh, he won the batting title. I got traded because I said something about Duquette in the media. And I went to the Rockies and Hilton won the batting title in the National League. And two different approaches, two totally different style of hitters, but they got it done. And the thing I always say about Nomar was I've never seen anybody um, in my life that could go up there and hit the first pitch, anything, not just a fastball. You could throw him first pitch, hang a curveball at the game, and he's going to hit it off the green monster. I was like, how are you ready for everything? And he said, man, I just went up there ready to hit. And it was amazing to me to watching him. Hey, I, you know, I say, I say that earlier. He was in, in, and hit it hard. Mm-hmm. He didn't, he didn't. He didn't I don't remember seeing no more hit many flares. He hit the <laughs> ball hard all over the field. And as you just said, just ready for everything. Man, I'm trying to take a pitch, see what's going on in the background. Can I check the ball, stitches, arm, arm angle, arm slot? What's he got? This kid, this kid was unbelievable. He was unbelievable from the day he he put that jersey on. He was unbelievable for the Red Sox. He really was. He really was. And he is a humble humble guy and uh you know he was just a, a great teammate he had a, he had a few superstitions that he was so good that we didn't we were not gonna say nothing about him you just do whatever you eat that sandwich touch your toes on the grass on the dirt do whatever you do you just go get three more hits we ain't gonna say nothing nothing He's, to you he no salami he has salami ham lettuce <laughs> tomatoes onions oil and vinegar i don't know what it was he'd eat that and then he start doing his taps hit his gloves and he'd be ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> he, he did. He did. I, I don't remember uh, what year this was, but uh, I know you got to remember this. So you apparently, I think, coming home from a road trip, maybe uh, ran out of clothes or something. You kind of maybe didn't have the proper, you know, we had to wear, dress a certain way on travel days. And I think you might have forgot some called shirt or jacket. So you wore like a sweatshirt home. So we like went to Jimmy and say, Jimmy, we want to play a prank on Mo. And, uh, you know, before we go out of town on the next road trip, none of us are going to get dressed till Mo's dressed up in his suit. Then we're going to all throw on our little crazy outfits that we have made up to, to uh, you know, get a laugh out of Mo. Do you remember that? This guy's, this guy's always messing with me, Fry, man. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was, I remember that. They always were doing stuff. I loved it, though. They, you know, Jeff always kept it loose. And Jimmy, Jimmy taught me a lot about the game and how to be a leader when he came over from Atlanta. Atlanta had a few different things that they always did as a team. And he brought that over when he came over. And I thought, you know, and, 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 and I believe it. His thing was no jeans on the road. Remember that? Mm-hmm. No jeans on the road. Look professional. What he was saying was, I need you to look and be professional. And before you know it, you started feeling that feeling like I'm looking good, I'm playing good. And it, and it, and it worked. I, we all were. We all were 
we all weren't happy about that at all. We mm-hmm. were like, what? No jeans. We, we, you know, we got to buy clothes. <laughs> but he, but there was something behind that. And it, and it, and it really did mean something. And I've never forgotten it. And I've taken that, that instance from him and, and, and applied it to my life. Yeah. I remember I went and bought like this little leather hat. I bought this shirt. We were all trying to like dress up like you. And I got like a, I, I cut out a 42 at a cardboard and I, yep. I and, put and tin foil on it and, and I hooked it on my back. chain. <laughs> 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 and you were like, oh, hell no. And you like took your suit off and put your, your, your street clothes on. And then we went on the road. But that kind of stuff is like team building stuff. Right. You know, that gets you guys closer together. And I think that's what we had a special group of guys that, we were all gamers. We all played to win the game. And I think that's why those teams were so much fun to be part of. Absolutely. Well, I got to say that I was, uh, during my time in Boston, I was, I was a little bit outspoken with the front office and Mr. Duquette and some of the things that uh, I didn't approve of. I went into that a little bit earlier. But um, when I watched you, Roger Clemens, and Mike Greenwell, walk out the door and have to go be a free agency to other teams. I could not believe that that was allowed to happen. In my opinion, you should have, they should have never let you leave Boston. I, I, I wish, I don't know how you feel about it, but I wish you'd have spent your whole career there. Cause I, I mean, even though you're as well thought of as you are today, I think you would have been considered one of the greatest in the history of the Boston Red Sox, if not the greatest. I know Ted Williams is up there, but I hated that when you left. Was that tough for you to leave? It was. Um, you always say as you get older, you know, 53 now, and you're like, damn, I wish I was that smart or forward thinking at that time as I am now. I probably would have went about things a little bit differently to, to, to capitalize on that situation. You know, you know, I, I knew my way around the batter's box at Fenway Park. I tailored my swing to use that, that green monster in a way that I don't think anybody ever has or will um, because I, I, I mastered it. And it, it was so much fun. You know, I go up there and I, I look at the flag and, and I could hit the ball where, you know, where I wanted to hit it. And it was, it was, it was, a, it was a great thing. Um, but yeah, I wish things had been different. Um, I just personally, I didn't think, I think I would have, if I had stayed, I would have set myself up for failure because I don't think Dan Duquette wanted me on the team. And maybe that was an assumption, you know, that I made that I shouldn't have made. But I was kind of saying, you know what? I think I've worn my welcome out here. Let me go start a new. Mm-hmm. And probably if I had stayed, you know, at Fenway Park and played another, you know, seven, eight, ten years, I would have I would have put some really, really strong numbers up, no doubt. Yeah, you were, I mean, not many lefties take advantage of that green monster. I'm not sure anybody ever has the way you did. And I remember the one or two times during the three years we played together that you were struggling a little bit and you're like, ask me man, what am I doing? I was like, man, you're trying to pull everything. Right. You got that green monster, man. You don't, you can flick it off that green monster. <laughs> and, and 
And, and that's what you did. And I don't know if you remember the time, but John, so early in the season in Boston, it's freaking really cold. Yeah. Okay. Like the first six weeks, it's miserable. Every game's a misty 40 degrees. And it's like, you can't get loose. And it's like, man, it's, I hated this. So I went to Kmart and I bought these little, these little uh, wraps for my bat, almost like a tennis racket wrap. And I yep. put it on my bat. I put it on my bat and everybody was laughing at me laughing man what is that crap you putting on your bat I was like man my hands don't sting when it's cold and it's like they were making fun of me and I swear to you a week later everybody on the team's like hey Frito will you wrap one of those things around my bat <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. now everybody uses them I yep. see them on tv all the time now yep the lizard skins they all they all use those things yeah. um but Jeff had that knack man he stayed warm had his hand warmers when it was cold he wrapped his bats he did whatever he had to do to, to be successful with no excuse. And we followed, it was, we followed and, 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 it, and it worked for us. You know, you were just as much of a team leader as I was. You played it, a, you played that second base tough and you put forth graded bats consistently. And I think that rubbed down off, off, off of all of us. And Jeff would always find something to get mad about during the game too. <laughs> it, it didn't matter what it was. He, he was gonna find a reason to get upset and get and get everybody going and and we 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 fed off that yeah i appreciate you saying that it was uh during those three hours you know my nickname was red ass a few people call me that um but uh th during those three hours uh, those guys on the other side weren't my friends and i wanted to win and i would be in the dugout and if we weren't hitting some dude who had nothing after three innings i'd start throwing the bats rattling the bats or yelling at the pitcher or something and we were just competing. It was nothing, right. you know, evil or, or mean or hateful. It was just, we were competing. And so anything I could do to, to try and spur on my team, um, I was willing to do, I mean, this is, this is my brother. So I'm playing with, I'm trying, we trying to win that every game, every game. Well, what are your thoughts on this whole, uh, idea that's going around major league baseball, this, uh, let the kids play initiative it's kind of i guess what it is let the kids play bat flipping pounding their chest showing up the pitcher i i saw uh, i watched like a 10 minute highlight reel today of you hitting homers and and all i ever saw is you hit a homer throw your bat down run around the bases and and you know high five your teammates at home plate but now it seems like major league baseball is kind of because the game doesn't seem to be as exciting are pushing this idea that the kids need to have more fun. They need to show more emotion. And I'm all for kids having fun. I mean, every game I played, I had fun. But to me, showing up these other guys on the other team, and in my mind, that's disrespectful. Uh, I'm just curious what your thoughts on what do you see today? I think that every action, every emotion, at all times needs to be controlled. And I say that because, you know, baseball is built to fail. You pop a home run, you jump around, high-fiving, whatever you do, showing the pitcher up. Tomorrow you're going to be out there and you're probably going to strike out with the bases loaded and get booed. I think mm -hmm. it's all about a mature mentality that, 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 that breeds consistency for a Major League Baseball player. You can't get too high. You can't get too low. You kind of have to be even killed 
as we go along this marathon of 162 games to be successful. Should there be, should there be some fun? Absolutely, absolutely, but I think you start pointing at people, pointing at people's faces. I, I, I think you cross the line as just a man's manhood and people are going to get upset. So I just kind of look at it like, yeah, I'm hit, I hit a home run. I'm supposed to hit these home runs. And we're up and we're going to try to win this game. But for the approach of a player, we need to have a consistent steamboat-like mentality and mindset to take us through the trials and tribulations of an entire season. And that's just my thought on it. Yeah, and don't, don't you think as, as major league players, we have a responsibility to show the young kids how to act, how to act professional. I know when I came up to the big leagues as a rookie, I, mean, I listened to the veteran players and, you know, I tried to keep my head down and do my job and, you know, and hope that nobody realized I wasn't supposed to be there. <laughs> but having those veteran players that, you know, will show you the ropes like you did to Nomar and this is how you do things. And, this, and then when the next group comes up, this group that you just mentored, teaches those guys and I think I don't know if that still exists in the major leagues like it did when we came up but to me there was a right way and a wrong way and there was these you know a big debate about the unwritten rules of the game and what what uh you know us old school guys viewed as things you weren't supposed to do compared to what goes on today and a lot of people say uh those unwritten rules don't mean anything but that's what we grew up on certain things this is the way you did it I think you know, listen, it's a new era and we have to get our mindset of what the era is and where people are. This era of social media, this era of the fact that now you can push yourself, you know, PR wise with, with, with your phone, but no, we're not going to take away some of the things that, that the way we police the game, because that's the great part of the game. Do we need to, you know, have a little bit of, you know, move laterally a little bit on some of this, some of these other things? Absolutely. But the game has still got to be played and, and policed, the, 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 you know, internally the way that it should be. And like I said, I'm all for, you know, the new style. I, I, you know, we have to, you know, accept and, 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 and groove with it. But there are some things that still need to, to be in place to make sure that we're not we're not making the, making us look bad as professionals. We have to be professionals throughout the process, and, and I think that's that's always has to be important. Yeah, yeah I agree. I think that as, as an outsider looking at, I, I think the emotion of the game. I think everyone loves to see emotion in the game, but there's points when no one can fault you if you've just put your team ahead with a hit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you should maybe raise a hand or be excited or do whatever. But if your team's down nine to one and you jack one 480 feet with nobody on base, maybe you don't need to take the selfie round in first base and doing all of that. You know what? Maybe you need to go back to the dugout going, hey, let's all do this and get back and get going. I think emotion's fun, but there's a time when you don't need to be emotional. There's a, but there, I can understand when you've put your team ahead or you've done something great. Yeah, I want to see the emotion. Yeah, I, I agree with you. It's 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 all about being aware yes. of what's going on. And you know, Jeff, when we came up, 
24-man roster, it was 22 veterans and two rookies. Mm-hmm. We were getting coffee, tying shoes, making sure stuff was in place. Now it's 24 young guys and maybe one or two veterans. Yeah. So no one gets taught and schooled on how to play the game the right way. I, told, I was talking to Jimmy Rice about this. If you came up and you didn't know how to play the game, they would go tell the manager, get this kid out of here. He's not ready. Mm-hmm. And this whole thing about hitting 200 and these low batting averages, the guys in our time would not accept that. And I think, I, I think that, like I said, some of these things are coming from people that haven't played the game. And I'm not saying that there's not a place for them. There is. But we need to get back to getting more baseball people back doing the things and understanding the game, teaching the game on all levels the right way. And that's how we're going to get the game back the way it's supposed to be played. I agree. I agree. The, uh, you know, how's Rice doing, by the way? I love that guy. He's great, man. He's having, you know, first of all, it's, I'm so happy for him to be, in, you know, you know, inducted into the Hall of Fame. I, I think that was really what he wanted and he got it. And he's, he's, he's having a good time, you know, doing the nesting and talking. And I get on there now with Ellis and Jimmy and those are two guys that raised me when I came up. So it's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a great time doing that. That's awesome. So, so you talked about the, you know, the guys hitting 200 and you see it all over baseball. It's like, I I don't know if it's because these guys have big contracts and basically, you know, the, the team has to just keep them because they're hitting 200. I guess that's part of it. But in our day, if you didn't, if you couldn't hit 230, you were in the Meyer leagues. You weren't hanging around three, four years hitting 210 in the big leagues. And now I see these, it's on every team's got three or four of these dudes. I just don't get it. I, it is absolutely not. It's, it's unacceptable. You know, to be hitting 230, 240, and I'm not saying that it's easy. It's not easy. It's very, very hard. But you can at least 275, 280, get, get yourself to respectable. They're making that 220, 230 a respectable average. And that's what's killing the greatness of walking to home plate and the art of hitting. The, the parameters are set so low that guys aren't worrying about doing the things that, that they need to do to be success, successful and consistent. I know when I start out the year hitting, you know, if I didn't get off to a good start, I'd be like, I hope they don't show my batting average on the scoreboard because it's like 225 and I'm embarrassed. <laughs> you know, and if you, you think about the fact that these guys still are very talented. There's so many great players, you know, still in the big leagues. These guys are, um, and the league is hitting 230. And um, it just boggles the mind that the best players in the world can't get a hit one out of every, every four times. I can't believe it. I, I honestly think that they're, they are being told that it's okay. And if you're going to tell me, if you're going to tell an organization that that's okay, that's what you're going to get is, is that if because everybody can just bail and well, that's easy to do. You don't even have to practice that. You just go up there and do that. Mm-hmm. But if you're being told that it's okay, 220, 230, we're, we're never going to get out of this. Well, you know, 
out of this realm that we're in. We we need to be demanding more of the of the hitter totally in ML in MLB from MLB now. Yeah. So do you uh, do you watch the game much besides? I know you have to keep up with the Red Sox doing your stuff on Nesson, but do you like watching the game like you used to as a kid? I watch it because I coach it. Mm-hmm. So I'm always in it, I'm always looking at things and I'm, you know, I, I go up there and I look at hitters right now. I know who's going to make outs consistently and who's not just by their stance. And, and it, I watch it because it helps me be a better coach. But, it, you know, I, I don't like the shift. I think the problem with the shift is when you hit the ball where it's pitched, you need to get rewarded for that. And when you don't, that's what has caused now this whole bail and will and launch angle. I might as well just take three hacks and try to hit out of the ballpark and make solid contact, hit the ball where it's pitched. I'm still out and outs and out. And I think that's one of the issues that we're having. But I, I, I love the game. I, I, um, I watch it. I, I, you know, there's Taxis Jr., you know, some of these guys. Mike Trout, you know, Mookie Betts, Xander Bogarts. I love the how, you know, the Red Sox is a Red Sox team, you know, and they've won, you know, four World Series. So they know they know even more. But that that team's a scrappy team. I, I like watching them play. Um, and I don't really get into I'm mad about how the game's being played, so I don't watch it. I, I still watch it, but I just wish that upper management and ownership would demand more from our hitters and, 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 and force them to, to, to be better. Yeah, I agree. Um, do you think anybody's going to put together a team like um, we saw with the Cardinals back in the day where, you know, you just load a team up with some speed, maybe get one or two big boppers, maybe a, you or a Jack Clark in the middle of the lineup and just let these guys take advantage of what the other team gives them. Can you imagine trying to defend? Because I see a lot of bad defense now because guys are out of position in these shifts. And it's like the third baseman doesn't know how to turn a double play up the middle on a ground ball hit to the shortstop. I mean, how do we, why do we even expect him to know that? You know, I see Manny Machado playing shallow right field uh, and he's pretty good at it. <laughs> he can pretty much do anything. But these guys are so out of position. And have you seen these little league type plays where what was the one against? I think it was the Red Sox the other night. This Mullins kid, Mullins guy hits a blooper to short. Bogarts is on the other side of second and runs over there and bobbles it. And he gets a basically a triple on a pop-up to shallow left field. Yeah. That was it was like little league. I know. But just we're talking offense all the time. But where is the Ozzie Smith? Oh man, where is the Davy Lopes? Where is the Willie Randolph? Where is the late great Joe Morgan? Where are those guys? Those guys in the middle. Where's the Jeff Fry in the middle turning a double play? That's what. That's the exciting parts of the game that we don't get to see anymore. Mm-hmm. It's like the whole, the whole game on both sides. It's like an arcade game. And that's what I'm talking about, those arts of, of you, you want to get your athletes in the middle of the field. 
great catcher, great second baseman, great shortstop, great center fielder. Defense is in the middle, and we then we branch out. We don't even get to see that part of the game anymore because we're shifting. And a lot of funny plays that are happening wouldn't be happening. Like I said, I think there's, I think there's there's room for it, but I just think right now those are the issues that are that are breaking the game down now. Yeah, I saw uh, I was watching a Rangers game the other day, and I watched them all the time. And it was uh, I forget who was I think it was first first and third maybe, and it was a basically a tailor made double play ball hit right probably fifteen feet to the right of second that the shortstop who was on the other side of the bag had the field and had nobody to flip it to. So he ran straight to the base and barely got the force and couldn't complete the double play. And I'm like, that's two outs on one pitch. If we play this game straight up, that's a double play. That's a pitcher's best friend, two outs on that pitch. We're out of the inning. We're in the dugout. No, the inning continued and run scored. And it's like, I, I just, and so I'm guessing you're in, are you in favor of outlawing the shift? Or do you, what do you think? I mean, because I don't know that I feel like it's we should reward players for not being able to to hit the ball all over the ballpark. And I know they shifted on you some in your career. I know that sec- shortstop was up the middle on you. But do you think they should make a rule and outlaw the shift? I just think that they should keep whatever you want to do. At least start with everybody's got to be, you know, touching that skin. I think the short right fielder is where we get the launch angle from. That short right fielder right there is a reason why our lefties are bailing and wailing because they're rifling balls right there that would be base hits and they're running back into the dugout and they're saying, what the hell am I doing that for? I might as well just mm-hmm. swing and hit it over. And those, those, you know, why you're getting those ratios. But yeah, you know, just get back to doing some of the normal things. And, you know, you said it, those St. Louis, Louis Carlos teams, those were like fun teams to watch. Willie McGee played, played with us. You know, the stories that he had, you know, playing, you know, you got Whitey Herzog on the bench, you know, you know, making, making his moves and, you know, bunting and moving runners over, stealing and hitting behind the runner. I want to see all that stuff. How, mm-hmm. That's all I want. I want to see all that stuff. Even though I didn't do it, it's the beauty of the game. You could do that. You could hit and run, hit to hit behind the runner as well as anybody when we played. But we don't even get to see any of that, and we need to figure out how to get to that. Yeah, I can't remember the last time I've seen a hit and run in a major league game. And I know when I had Kevin on here uh, last episode, it was like Kevin allowed me to put on my own hit and run because I was like, yeah. I'm going to hit. I'm going to hit it. I'm going to make contact. And I'm either going to be a line driver or a ground ball. And if there's a runner on first or first and second, I'm a double play possibility. So I want to hit and run every single time I have a runner on first base. And you, will you allow me to put it on? And me and Braggy, I was telling him, me and Braggy did it probably 30 times one year yeah. until one time, one time Braggy took off and I wasn't expecting him to. And he got thrown out. And I was like, dang, Braggy, where are you going? And, and uh, he's like, oh, dude, you give, you know, Braggy, dude, you gave me the sign. You grabbed your cup. I'm like, no, I didn't. He goes, yeah, you did, dude. You did. I saw you. I was like, oh, man, Kevin's going to take it away from me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but even, even that, look at the game that you're playing inside the game with your own teammate. You don't need any signs. You guys know how to play the game. 
We don't mm-hmm. even get any of that anymore. And, and that's, that's, that's a loss. Those things that people do at the top of the lineup on their own and getting in scoring position, I was like, hey, whatever you guys do, keep doing it. As long as you get, get out there on the base somewhere so I can drive you in. Those, those are great. That's a great story. You know, young people need to, young players need to look at what you said right there and, and, and take heed to that because that's how you play the game. That's how good teams play the game and win. Mm-hmm. Well, I might as well ask you, what do you think of the uh, – I'm seeing a lot of uh, scouting reports or little cheat sheets in guys' back pockets and in pitchers' hats. And, you know, we used to have – we had a lot of fun in those meetings we used to have back in the day with Jim Rice and, and Big Toe, Joe Kerrigan, when he was talking about the pitching stuff, you know, how we're going to pitch guys and Rice going over the pitchers we're going to face. And it's like, uh, you know, once you went over the scouting report at the beginning of a series, we knew how to play guys. I didn't, I knew if, you know, uh, Frank Thomas was coming up, I knew where I was playing him. I knew if Harold Baines was coming up, I knew I was playing him. Bernie Williams, Derek Jeter, everybody. I knew how to play them just because I remembered what we said two days ago in the scouting report meeting. But now it seems like these guys have to pull out a little cheat sheet out of their pocket every time another hitter comes to the plate. And I'm like, man, what are they looking at? What is, is it this complicated? We're making it too hard. Yeah, I mean, do, do we know if they still have those meetings? You know, those meetings are what bind the team. We don't even know if they're having those meetings. That's why I say analytics is a great part of the game. It can't be the whole game because there's a feeling. There's an understanding. There's, there's, there's a whole host of, of emotions that, that go on pitch by pitch that you can only get that feeling when you're standing there. And Everything can't be put into words. It, it can't all be a data point. It's, it's, it, baseball's not played that way. Yeah. Well, I got a, a couple more questions. I'll let you go, man. I, um, I wanted to ask you, I uh, started this last show, um, a couple of rule changes and things in baseball. I just kind of wanted to get your opinion on what do you think of instant replay? I like it if they get it right. <laughs> how can you not get it right i don't you know what i mean it seems like this year they ain't getting it right there was a, there's a couple of situations plays at home plate that they haven't gotten right not right yeah i've seen it yeah, a number like, of times i don't know how you can have all these people looking at stuff that looks did you see the interference call on the pitcher about two weeks ago the guy yes. hit like a swing swinging bunt he yep. came in under it was like no contest and the umpire was like looking for a reason to make a call and called interference yep i mean how, how does that happen in the big leagues with all this technology and all these cameras how do we not get instant replay if we're going to have it if it's going to slow the game down we have to sit around for five minutes every time there's a controversial or, or a close play and review it how do you not get it right i don't understand i think we're trying to to be too perfect yeah back in the day you know, and I'm not saying back in the day, but in our era, you had, and I, and I said this on Ness and All also, you had Terry Kraft, you had Derwood Merrill, you had Ken Kaiser, you had, you know, John Hirschbeck. They all had different strike zones. And we had to figure out what that was for the day. And the pitcher had to figure it out, the catcher had to figure it out, and we had to figure it out. 
And that's all the beauty of the game, that it's, it's not perfect. You, you, you got human beings that need to make calls that are human. They're going to make some mistakes. Absolutely. But we're so busy trying to perfect it. We're taking away the natural, the natural ebb and flow of, of what the game is and, and putting everybody in one certain box and the strike is this and, you know, everything's all the same. And the game is not played that way. Yeah, it's human beings and you're going to have human error. And that's always been. And that's part you know, of it. it. And those, those umpires, they had those different personalities like Durwood and Ken Kaiser. They made it fun. Yeah. You know, I love those guys. I love those guys. And Durwood Mirror, I was like, Durwood, that's not a strike. Oh, Hall of Fame pitch. That's Hall, Hall of Fame, Fame pitch. pitch. I was like, well, I ain't going to the Hall of Fame. I promise you. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> those characters are what makes the game. And we're trying to yep. get so far away from that. Yeah, you know, somebody's giving them. Me, give me giving somebody off the plate a couple of inches, or maybe they're not giving the play, off ball inside. And somebody's calling the ball inside, but they're not giving. That's the cat and mouse of the game. We shouldn't try to always perfect it. Yeah, I agree. I remember we were in Atlanta, and we faced uh, you know back in those days they had Smoltz, Glavin, and Maddox, and Steve Avery, and they were loaded and had Hirschbeck. I think it was Mark Hirschbeck, and uh, he had a big strike zone, and Glavin was pitching. And he had Javi behind the plate and he did his, you know, fastball two, three, four inches off the plate for a strike. And then he came inside kind of up and in and he framed it and he rung me up and I didn't, I didn't strike out a lot. And I didn't strike out a lot looking right. and I turned around and I said, you better give our pitcher the same, you know what? Right. And he kind of took stared at me and watched me in the dugout. And I came back and dug out and there's Jimmy with his arms crossed. You remember Jimmy? He's like, huh, what'd you What'd you say, Frito? I was like, tell our, I said, give our guy the same shit, Jimmy. He goes, oh, oh, you better be swinging the bat. You better be swinging the bat. <laughs> yeah. 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 But you knew it. I mean, and you know, you, another time, uh, Jack McKeon, he rung me up, Steve, uh, Sean Bosky's pitching. And uh, fastball away, strike, fastball in, strike three. And I turned around, I said, you can't give him in and out. He ain't Cy Young. He goes, well, you ain't Babe Ruth either. I was like, all right. <laughs> and Jimmy Rice, I went back and dug out told Rice. So every time uh, Jim McKeon was behind home plate, you see him come out of our tunnel. You know how they did in Fenway. Right. I was like, Rice, look who's umpire. He's like, hey, got Babe Ruth down here, Babe Ruth. And he, he said he used to write Babe Ruth on his sports card <laughs> before the game. Oh. So I miss those. That was the fun part of the game, man, the interaction with the yeah, umpires. And, have we, didn't like the, we didn't love the umpires, but they had a job to do. We respected how hard it is being an umpire in the major leagues. No matter yeah. what you do, no matter what call you make, half the people are going to disagree with you. Yeah, That's not an right. easy job. And, and, and I just don't think you should all this this – this is a great game. The umpires are part of the game. You can't try to perfect and create every, correct every asset. The, 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 the human error is what baseball is. We, we, we should understand that. Yeah. Okay, a couple more, and then I'll let you go. I got the uh, – what do you got on the man on second base in extra innings? Listen, I – that's what we do down here in U Triple baseball is we put that man on second and extra innings. 
I I'm surprised they're playing that. I understand they're trying to trying to get, you know, get through the season and with the COVID issues and all these different things, but that's tough. That's tough for me to, to, to accept that, that particular part of it. Yeah. I mean, I understood what they did last year with the shortened season or whatever, but to me, they got to get rid of that. We got to, so those are some of the funnest games we played in. It was the 13, 14 innings because you find out what you're made of, man. Right. When the game's on the line, that's pressure every at bat. It's not like it's the fourth inning of a game on a Tuesday. You play in a Yankee stadium, um, Red Sox and Yankees, you in the 13th inning and man, that ground ball to you, you know, if you screw up, right. you're going to be all over yeah. the paper tomorrow. Hey, yeah. I, I heard somebody say this. Yeah. Oh, sorry, Mo. I heard somebody say this. What do you think of this on a compromise? What if they did the guy on second base, say, starting the 14th inning? Where you go 13, if nothing goes, and then maybe you put it out there. Is that more 14th? I don't know, but that's what they said where when you're getting – you guys played. I didn't. And you, I, I don't know what the longest game you ever played in was, but you got a bullpen to protect and all of that. But, of course, it, you know what? That's part of the game. I'm, I'm an old-timer, so I just want to hear it from you pros. Does that compromise even sound feasible, or you just don't want it at all? I don't want it. I don't want it either. Fair enough. I don't want it. Fair enough. All right, Mo. Seven inning double hitters. I don't want those either. I don't either. I mean, how are you going to have a game seven innings and have a pitcher throw a no hitter and it doesn't count? Bum Gardner. <laughs> I mean, if it's if seven innings is going to be the new rule, then you throw a no hitter, it should count. It's to me, there's been five no hitters. Yep. To okay. me, there's been five no hitters this year. Um, what's the last question? Uh, and I, if you can't say anything about this because your position in the Red Sox, and, and that's fine. But do you think that he, uh, I'm not a fan of this fella for what's happened in the game, but do you think Rob Manford, our commissioner, is doing a good job? You know, there's just been a, a whole lot of, a whole host of issues. And I'll just take the whole Houston Astros issue. When you don't, when you don't lay down the discipline, when you should, you set yourself up for a whole host of issues. Then there's been other other issues, and now this guy is, is is taking fire for not for 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 not being consistent. You know, there were some commissioners. You know, what do we have? One or two? We had two. In our, yeah, in our, we had Seelig and I forget who else. Seelig and and uh, and and not Giamatti. I don't know who we had before him. I should know maybe it was just Bud Seelig. But you have to police. When you don't police, now you have question, and there's a whole host of questioning going on with with Mister Manfred at this time. Well, he seems to want be the one who's trying to. Um, get all these rule changes in and some of the stuff that they're even talking about doing in the minor leagues and you know the, the pitchers can only throw over to a base two times before it's a balk uh, moving the mound back um, I mean those are all idiotic things to do but do you think are there baseball players working for them that he can bounce this off or they just make these decisions unilaterally and don't ask how do you not ask former major leaguers how is this rule going to be accepted by the players? 
I don't know, but I don't think we should. I I, I heard something about making the base the base bigger. Bases are bigger. What, They're bigger. What are we talking about. What, what are we talking <laughs> safety. about? For safety reasons, the bases is eighteen inches instead of fifteen. I, I don't know. I I just want us to go back to playing the game that we need to play and stop with all these different antics. We're looking bad by all these different things that we're trying to do. We need to just go back to what we were doing in the past and, and get the game back on track the way that it's supposed to be played. It's been the greatest game for how many years? Abner Doubleday started this game in whatever year that was. Yeah. Why are we changing that? For what reason? Let's go back to doing things the way that they, they, they were and play the game the way it was played. And then you won't have to worry about time limits. So we got all these things about, we're trying to speed up the game. Well, why don't you just play it the right way? Mm-hmm. And, and it'll, it'll, it'll speed up itself. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I just think that there's just too many, there's too much, there's too much, the, 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 they're making this game different than it should be. I agree. Well, this has been amazing, man. I had a couple people that wanted me to tell you hello. Todd Pratt oh. uh, follows me on social media. Tank, he's awesome. Yep. Steve Traxel uh, messaged me. And uh, today I talked to Darren Oliver. And Darren Oliver said, man, tell Mo I'm still sorry I hit him in the head when he was I, in Anaheim. <laughs> <laughs> I, I ain't worried about that. I appreciate it. He, I, I think he, he did hit me. He didn't mean to hit me, though. And I knew no. it would hit me. And no, I, he didn't I, do that anyway. If he did, it wasn't going to be in the head. Yeah, he knew how to... he was, he's a good guy. But tell yeah, those guys I, I said hello. I will, man. And uh, I appreciate it. We need to hook up. I'll be making a trip to Florida at some point. You in Boca Raton? Yeah, call me up. I will, man. I got to see you in those Shegon shirts I sent you. Yes. Hopefully they fit. They Hopefully do. They fit. They do. Well, John, I appreciate it. You do a wonderful job as usual. And um, uh, yeah, before I let you go, I have to go with my my new catchphrase, you know. So this is Jeff Fry signing off from the She Gone Nation podcast with my boy, Mo Vaughn. She Gone! She Gone! This has been the She Gone Nation podcast. Thanks for listening. For more fun merchandise or videos, go to SheGoneHitting.com. That's SheGoneHitting.com. And follow us on Twitter. We are at... She Gone Pod. That's at She Gone Pod. Thanks again for listening. <laughs>